0: given me for you and whether there's 30 in this building or 3,000 in this building, I believe it's a word that will bless every one of you. so I'm just going to act like there's 3,000 of you and I'm going to celebrate with you and I'm going to rejoice with you. If you go to two places in Scripture, I'd like for you to go with me to Philippians the third chapter and kind of hold your place there and then go to Psalm the 137th division. And that's where we'll be taking some kind of uh, focus. When the Lord gave me this message, and I apologize to Chris and Susan. They probably heard this message at least 20 times. <laughs> at least we changed the title and changed the scripture. But it's the same word. It's, the, uh, it's something that I had to experience and I had to go through. And I have learned that not only are there good memories, there's also bad memories. And there's memories that can hurt you, and there's memories that can wound you. And your mind is a powerful thing. And your mind will try to disqualify you. Your mind will try to tell you, you're not good enough. Your mind will tell you, you messed up today just like you messed up yesterday. And the mind tries to bring depression and worry and anxiety over one of two things, something there's absolutely no way we can change So we go forward and then the second thing is things that we think other people care about and they don't they don't have a clue most of the people that we're hurt at don't know that we're hurt at them how crazy is that so we worry about people that really there's no reason to worry about then we worry about things that have happened in our life and a, a really fun passage of scripture Psalms 139 137 rather I believe it's God's will this morning for us to be happy. How many believe that? If you're saved and you know it tell your faith. I believe it's God's will this morning for us to be blessed. How many believe that too? I believe that there's blessing. I believe that there's happiness found in the word of God. So looking for happiness today I want to bring attention to Psalm 137 verse 9. Are you ready? A great revelation. You're going to be blessed. You're going to You're going to laugh, you're going to fall out on the floor with laughter and you're going to receive this positive word. Are you ready? Happy, there it is, shall he be that dasheth thy little ones against the rocks. Happy shall he be that dasheth thy little ones against the rocks. How many got blessed? Now, Brenda, all these beautiful grandkids, I know you can't relate to wanting to whack them over the head from time to time. And we're so glad to have the Sullivans with us today. God bless you kids. We're glad that you're here. Happy shall he be that taketh thy little ones and dasheth them against the rocks. Look, if you will, at verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. For there those that wasted us required us this song, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? You have heard me comment in in the 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 Old Testament about Hezekiah, that God blessed him and helped him win a great battle. And kings from Babylon came and paid him tribute. And and he showed them the fortune and he showed them the temple and he showed them the the sanctuary. And and these three kings, or these kings left. And when they left, the man of God, Elijah said, or Samuel said, "What, what have you done? And who were those people and what did they want? And he said, well, they have come. They have come to to see my my successes. They've come to see everything I've accomplished. And the prophet said, what you've done is not a good thing. You've allowed them to come into your house. You've allowed them to see your treasure. You've allowed them to see your worth. And now they are going to come back, not in your generation, but in your son's generation. They're going to come back, and they're going to level Jerusalem. They're going to take everything they can, and they're going to terrorize, and they're going to destroy this city. I believe it's very, very important that we know what movies our kids are watching. I believe it's very important that we know what kind of heroes our kids are attached to. Because so quickly things can change. I will tell you that I was a fan of Hannah Montana. I've been a fan of Billy Cyrus. I enjoyed it. Both the girls, I think, grew up watching Hannah Montana. And I enjoyed watching it with them. And who would have thought one year later that Miley Cyrus would go so crazy and go so wild and actually do, do a song, Nude, and actually win an award for it? That's what's hard to grasp and hard to comprehend. But as a dad and a mom, we have tried to sequester our children. We've tried to, we've tried to monitor what they're watching and what they're listening to and, and who they're texting. And, and this, this godly man should have paid more attention to his children And the things in his house, instead of letting anything come in and and rob and destroy. And sure enough, two generations later, the Babylonians come. They murder all the men. They rape all the women. And all the teenagers, they castrate them and change their name. And that's where we get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And here the writer of Psalms realizes is that we are in trouble. We've lost our song. We've lost our favor. We've lost our blessing. But if there's a way that we can take the children of the Babylonians and destroy them, then they won't grow up to be warriors that will destroy us. Does that make any sense at all? I remember um, a famous lake in in California, Castaic Lake. It's actually a lake that has been producing some some large uh, bass, 12, 14, 18 pounds, some trophy fish. And every year they have a tournament, and different ones will bring their boats in, and they will... They will fish to win thousands of dollars in a boat and all kinds of trophies. And that particular week, there was a tournament going on. Men had brought their boats from all over different states to perform in this tournament. Fishing was real bad. Nobody was catching anything. One morning, mid-morning, about a 12-year-old boy, Josh's age, walks into the camp with a stringer full of monster bass. Immediately, all the fishermen surrounded him, wanted to know what part of the lake, what was he using for bait, what was he and he said, well, I was using worms for bait, but you've got to be careful because they'll bite you. And they said, what do you mean? And he held up a glass jar full of baby water moccasins he'd found under a log. That little boy died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. See, not just big snakes have the ability to hurt and to wound, but the little snakes have the ability to do that also. Little things don't stay little. They grow up into big things that can hurt and harm and trash you. One of my favorite commercials as a child, and we'll date you this morning, uh, this, this television commercial. Uh, there are two boys, probably nine, ten years of age, sitting down at a breakfast table, and there in front of them was a bowl of live cereal. And one boy looked at the other and said, you eat it. And his brother looks back and says, no, you eat it. Neither one would try the cereal. This little guy, about four years of age, walks in the room, and the brothers look at one another and say, hey, let's give it to Mikey. He'll eat anything. So Mikey walks up to the table, takes a spoon, gets that live cereal, buries it in his mouth. They're watching him, and all of a sudden a big old smile gets on Mikey's face. He takes another bite, and the brothers say, hey, he likes it. Mikey likes it. So they start eating the cereal. Can anybody relate to that commercial? Is there, is there maybe one or two in the house? I mean, that's dating, that's dating many of us. Well, let me tell you what happened a few years ago when I was in Phoenix doing a conference the television was on, and I watched this breakfast commercial where these two huge Nicole weightlifter looking kind of guys, big old necks, big old arms, big old chest, and in front of them was this monster bowl of live cereal. One guy says the other, you eat it. His friend says back, no, you eat it. Neither one would try the cereal. All of a sudden in the background you hear this noise. And in the door walks a giant of a man, six foot eight. 280 pounds of solid muscle, a 20-inch neck, 22-inch arms. One guy sitting at the table looks at him and says, hey, this give it to Mikey. He'll eat anything. Mikey walks up to the table, takes the bowl of cereal, and pours the entire contents in his mouth. And the brothers say, hey, he likes it. Mikey likes it. And they start eating the cereal. Well, I don't know if you have seen that commercial, but what we have learned there is that little things don't stay little. Little things don't stay little. I remember as a um, child growing up, I had the disadvantage, and I don't, I don't regret any of that, but I had the disadvantage of being left-handed. And uh, I was in a generation uh, before there was smear-proof ink. I was in a generation that I'd, I never got good grades for handwriting because it was so difficult to manipulate the paper. I have friends that are left-handed, that will actually turn their wrist all the way over, almost in a claw position, and they will write it. I just, I just didn't, couldn't roll with that. I didn't get good grades in elementary school. But in seventh grade, in California, you're going to the seventh, eighth, and ninth, and then you're going to tenth grade. In seventh grade, I had a couple of electives, and so I chose typing. And so I, I went to the typing class, and the teacher is crazy. That had to be 50 somewhat 45 years ago that I still remember the name of the teacher, she was not married. Her name was Mrs. Ball, B-A-U-H, and she was drop-dead gorgeous, and I got a crush on her. And so I typed all the way through seventh grade. I took eighth grade typing. I took ninth grade typing. I mean, I, hello, I mean, I, I, I made it all the way through college because of that, those lessons that I learned in that typewriter. But when I was a child growing up, two things could happen. You could paint any car, any color, for twenty nine ninety five, or you could buy a Smith Corona typewriter, and so when I hit college, I got, a type, I got a typewriter and did all of my homework and all of my lessons on the typewriter because my, my my penmanship was so lousy. And the thing about this little typewriter is that if you messed up, it didn't have spell check, it didn't have autocorrect. If you messed up, you took the paper out, you crumbled it up, you threw it away, and you tried it again. But somewhere in my, in my sophomore, junior year, things begin to happen in America. There was an invasion of bugs, doors, hermits, monkeys from England. All of a sudden, America was saturated with this new rock music that Elvis Presley kind of introduced and Chuck Berry and, 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 and some of those guys. And there was a group that came to America that called themselves the Monkeys. I don't know if you remember, hey, hey, we're the monkeys. People say, we monkey around, we're too busy singing to run anybody down. I think their big song was, then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. Anyway, what was so cool about the monkeys, Mike Nesbitt, the guy that always wore the beanie, his mom invented a product. Are you ready for this? Patented and produced it. She invented liquid paper. So now... So now if I ever meet her, I'm going to kiss her right on the mouth. Now, if you, you made a mistake on that typewriter, you turned up the thing and you took that liquid paper and you covered up the mistake and you blew on it and then you turned it back down and you typed right over it as if you had never messed up. In John 1 and 29, after John the Baptist baptized his cousin Jesus and he hears a voice from heaven, he sees the presence of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. John makes a statement. He sees his brother, his cousin rather, walking down the road. He said, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. There was a generation before the cross that if you failed or you dropped the ball or you messed up or you sinned, you went to the place where animals were raised just for sacrifice. You went to a place where animals were kept that you could purchase and you could sacrifice. And if you were Wealthy or medium wealthy, you would select a lamb or a cat. If you were not wealthy, if you were poor, you would select a turtle dove. And when you took that lamb to the high priest, the high priest never looked at you. The high priest didn't care who you was. The high priest didn't care if you were there yesterday. The high priest didn't care if your dad was the mayor. He didn't care. The high priest would examine the lamb. And if the lamb was without spot, without blemish, the high priest would take the lamb over to the altar Take a knife, cut the throat of that lamb, and the moment the blood of that lamb hit the altar, you were forgiven. You know, whether we go to God this morning for the first time or for the thousandth time, God's not going to ask us, did you pray? Are you a tither? Are you a member of the Baptist church? No, God's not going to ask any questions. All God is going to say is, on whose authority, on what premise do you come before my throne? And you know what we say to God? We say, God, God. Behold the Lamb. Examine the Lamb Christ Jesus, and if he is worthy, if he's without spot, and if he's without blemish, then we come into your presence because of the blood of the Lamb. Aren't you glad today that at any time, any hour, any moment, you can go beyond the veil. You can step in the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. The blood has been shed. The blood's been applied. And what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'll give the Lord a hand cup of appreciation in this house. If you, look, if you look with me at Philippians 3 and 13, the Apostle Paul has been left for dead three times. He'd been shipwrecked, spent the night in the ocean floating, beaten three times, 39 stripes saved one. Paul came to a place in his life where he makes this statement. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. And that word apprehended means complete. And what Paul is saying is, God is not done with me. I'm still a work in progress. He, uh, he's still working on me. All these great things the apostle Paul did, but he recognized in humility who he was and what he was to God. And he said, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Look at his name and say, I. He did it. You couldn't go to a Biddingham conference. You couldn't listen to a Daystar CD. It's something you had to do. It was a literal decision that you had to do. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth those things which are before, I press towards the mark of the prize, the high calling of God through Christ Jesus. And you think, well, Paul, what what did you have in your past that was so crazy and so, so horrific. Paul had a, Saul of Tarsus had a written order from the governor and from the, from the emperor that he could arrest Christians, have them murdered, have them massacred, fed the lions, torches, in Nebuchadnezzar's hanging garden. That, that was the authority he had. So Paul would go to Christian homes. He would take the mom and dad out into the, into the street. They were stoned. They were murdered. They were placed in captivity. They were made gladiators where they'd be fed to lions. And this is what Paul did. But when Paul saw the light on the road to Damascus, it changed his life. It changed his heart. It changed everything about him. But there probably were times, Norman, when Paul would be teaching, preaching, and he would minister, and then after the teaching, someone could walk up and say, hey, you don't know me, but you came to my home, and my father was murdered, my mom was raped, and I was thrown into prison. But I forgive you because of the blood of Jesus. I forgive you. And that's great for us to be able to forgive, but to be on the end that we've done something to somebody so horrific that we have, we have to step through the process of forgiving ourselves. There's two sides to the street. There's, two, there's, two, there's the aspect of forget forgiving and then the aspect of forgetting. A lot of us have forgiven ourselves for what we've done. I remember uh, as a child growing up, there were, there were memories that, that I established. You know, a lot of those memories were with family especially around the holidays. I had, had some awesome cousins. I had some, I had some awesome aunts and uncles. My grandparents, they were just the epitome of, of God, God and God and God God with skin on, I mean, literally. And I remember those good times. I remember those good moments. And, and I remember a lot of good times. And then I, then I remember the, the bad memories. I remember the, the bad times. I remember the drugs and the divorce. And, you know, when people, when you're going through a divorce and people say, I know what you're going through, they don't have a clue what you're going through. They really don't. If you've never walked. That path, and you, you can't relate to a divorcee. Songs on the radio, familiar restaurant, holidays. I mean, everything, it seems to seem to beat you up and remind you of the failure that you've been and the hurt that you've been. But what we have realized, you have got to know that you have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus, and now you've got to take the process of not allowing the enemy to keep bringing up, hello, and hurting you or destroying you. Or wounding you. And the way a lot of that happens. If you look at Colossians 2. I believe it's 13. And 14. I laid it out right here. I'm sure the guys are. I had it marked. I'm sorry about that. Colossians 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Notice, if you will, verse, let me look at verse 13. And you, look at somebody and say, this is for me, being dead to your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all. You see that word? All trespasses. When God forgives you, he forgives you of everything. He doesn't hold one or two against you. He doesn't try to rub your nose in it. He doesn't try to to hurt you or badmouth you. But when you come to God, you've got to believe that he is a rewarder and a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And he's forgiven you. (coughs) No matter how bad you think that you've been, no matter what, what you've done or have not done, no matter what sin you've been involved in, sin is sin. Whether it's telling a white lie or whether it's being a murderer, it's all sin. And when you come to God, he receives you just the way you are, and he forgives you. Notice, if you will, verse 14. Blotting out, there's that liquid paper. Blotting out the handwritings of ordinances that was against us, which were contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. You will notice today that there is a cross, there is a hammer. I'm going to ask... The Richard, if you'll help me. Richard, if you'll give everyone a nail. And Pastor Rhonda, who has our sheets of paper? Angel, you have our paper? Um, I don't see Angel. The rapture took place. We've lost him. Christine, if you'll find out where the... If you'll give everyone in the house a piece of paper. So we're going to get a nail and a piece of paper. And Nicole, I thought that this was so significant today because when you when you read of heaven, and John did an incredible job describing it—streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl—a city four square where the lion lays down with the lamb—and you look at all the things that God and Jesus Jesus said, "I go to prepare a place for you." That means He's in heaven right now, preparing a place for us. When you think about all that heaven is. And, 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 and Hillary, all that's in heaven, the only thing man made in heaven, and I know that you know because I've shared it almost, almost constantly in front of you, the only thing that we contributed to heaven, are you ready? Scars. The only thing that will be in heaven that we contributed, Jerry, is the scars on the hands and feet and side of Christ. That's the only thing that we contributed. But there was a purpose for the cross. There was a reason for the cross. The reason he had to be the lamb was that he had to pay for our sins from the foundation of the world yesterday, today, and forever. Grasp that just for a moment. All the sins of our fathers, all of our sins, all of our children's sins have all been bought by the blood. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge. Beneath that flood, watch this, lose all their guilty stains. Isaiah said, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be white as snow. I don't know how he takes the black heart of a sinner and washes it with the red blood of a Savior, and we come out white, and and one day we're going to return wearing a garment of white riding on white horses. I don't know the process of how God does that, but I know that God does it. And to go just a little, a little deeper in that blotting out the handwritings that were against us, that means everything the enemy could bring to your attention, every lie you ever told, every drink you ever drank, every drug you ever abused, every, every, every everything you ever took, everything that we've ever committed has been nailed to the cross and washed by the blood. And when the devil has accused of their brother and tries to go before God, and tries to remind God of our, because that's what he does. The devil was talking to God about Job, trying to remind God of all our failures, all our hurts, and all of our pain. God, as the eternal judge of eternity, listens to what the devil has to say. But don't, aren't you glad this morning that we could not afford? an attorney, power enough to go against the devil. So God provided our attorney. Jesus Christ is our attorney, and he represents us in heaven right now. And when the devil approaches God with evidence, my lawyer, Jesus Christ says, Your Honor, may I examine the evidence and the evidence that's against me. Jesus takes and holds against his chest, and he saturates it with his blood, and he hands it back to God. And God said, I don't see any evidence. All I see is the blood that will never lose his power, the blood of my son. So we're accepted and forgiven And not just forgiven But restored because of the blood of a lamb Something that you need to know When Moses stood before Pharaoh To try to release the people of God from Egypt He had a meeting at a burning bush And he had a confrontation by God himself And God gave him direction God gave him Aaron to help him God laid out the plan And Moses, being an adopted son of Pharaoh, knew all about protocol, knew all about the, all that. Moses asked God, who shall I say sent me? Who shall I, what name am I going in? What authority am I going in? What power am I going in? And God introduces to Moses a term that's called the tetragrammaton. Say that fast three times. The tetragrammaton, the tetragrammaton. And what God revealed to Moses, and we know that Moses probably wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and some Psalms, Psalms 90. So Moses, who wrote the the first five books of the law, probably wrote maybe the book of Job, we're not sure. But when Moses asked God, whose authority am I going to operate under, God introduces Moses to the tetragrammaton, which is the, are you ready? Y-H-W-H. Yehovah, where we get the word Yahweh or we get the word Jehovah. And God told Moses, you tell, you tell Pharaoh that Yahweh sent you. That tetragrammaton became the unspeakable, unmentionable name of, of God. And you were not allowed to utter that name unless you were a priest. And when they would copy the scripture, Jackie, when they're copying the law... Every time they came to the word Yahweh, they had to lay their quill down, back away from it, and they went and got the priest. The scribe was not even permitted to write the name of God. That's how sacred, that's how how special it was. And the priest would come in, he would wash his hands seven times, he would write the name of God, and then he would be unclean for a day, for an entire day. He couldn't touch anything, he couldn't eat, he couldn't go around people, because that name was so sacred and so holy. Josephus. 80 years after the death of Christ, relates to Christ saying that somehow Jesus had learned how to pronounce the name of God correctly and perform great miracles. How crazy is that? He told the disciples, I don't come in my name. I come in the name of he who sent me. He had the name. He had the authority. And when Pilate wrote on top of the cross these words, letters rather, Wait for it. When Pilate, watch this. worry about all that? I got this sermon memorized. Okay, give me a nail. Give me your nail. How many has already lost your nail? You've already lost your nail. Where are you? Oh. Thank you. I love your nails. When Pilate. Ordered Yahweh to be nailed to the cross. The Pharisees got a major attitude because not only did it say Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. See, in the in the Hebrew language, there are no vowels. There's no a, e, i, o, u, so everything is consonant. When he wrote YH. W.H., all of a sudden, the Pharisees got very angry and very troubled, and they begged him to change it. And you remember what he said? I have written what I've written. And there's a reason why he wrote that, because when you look at the unspeakable, unmentionable name of God, it goes all the way back, not to Moses, not to Abraham, but all the way back to the garden. Are you ready for this? When God created man and formed man and spoke into his lungs and, and raised him up, and God honored Adam and Eve, and you know the story. Noah come along and had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. You can go on ancestry. Is that how you say it? Ancestry.com. And I try and I go, all messed up, Chris. It wouldn't let me. I somehow I pushed the wrong. I got irritated and stopped it, shut it down. But you can go and you can type in your name, and what they'll do, they'll trace your lineage all the way back to maybe the Scottish, maybe to the English, maybe to French. Uh, that's maybe Puerto Rico, but they can trace your name and find out who the father of your father of your father. But if you go all the way back to the original, all of us came from one of three names Ham, Shem, or Japheth. Ham is the, the generation that represents the godless, the ones that will never accept God. And then Shem represents the Jew. All the Jews are, are from the lineage of Shem. Japheth, Gentile, you and I are from the generation of Japheth, which goes all the way back to God there in the garden. Is anybody getting this? When they nail Yahweh to the cross, what God was saying, the blood of my son is going to pay for the sins of Adam and Eve The blood of my sins are going to pay for Nero, Adolf Hitler, Sung Young Moon, Charles Manson. The blood of my son, because it's attached to this name, is going to pay for all the sins of the world. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Can you give the Lord a shout or a clap or a wave offering? cool, I got two sermons here. I never finished this one. Maybe I should. I made a note to myself. To eliminate painful aspects of memories, you have to, number one, forgive yourself. And then number two, see yourself as God sees you. God said, I have separated your sins as far as the east is from the west. They all wound up in the sea of forgetfulness, and he's hung up a sign there that says, no fishing. In other words, the enemy cannot go and pull your sins. That means that we shouldn't be able to go and constantly remind God of our failures. Because when we go to God and we remind him of our failures, God said, you don't understand. All that's, all that's past. I love you just the way you are. My son died for you and my son's blood purchased a relationship with me. So you're not all of that. Say that was then. This is now. And at the end of this year, as we step into a new year, which really is not all that significant, it's something that, that we do. The new year for Israel is in March, but we, we see January 1st as the new year. And we all have um, resolutions that we make and, Usually break before February 1st, but as we get ready to step into a brand new season, to be honest with you, I am, I am glad that 2015 is coming to closure. I feel like I've been on pause. I feel like I've been waiting for something. I feel like, and I'm, I'm ready for this year to come, come to an end. I, re- it's, I, I, I love my granddaughter. I love everything that God did in 2015, but I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go on. I, I feel like there's some things I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm ready to go on. So if mentally I make a decision to look at January as a brand-new season, I believe God will honor me, and I believe that God will honor my desire and my direction when I say that I want to do. So there's some things in 2016 that I want to do that I didn't do in 2015. As we step into 2016, there has been some prophetic reports that whoever is the next president of the United States, and it has been prophesied is going to be a woman, that the next president will not live out her, her, her full term. The rapture of the church will take place, will be resurrected into heaven, and then God's wrath will pour out upon this earth for seven years. That's been some real heavy prophets that people place a lot of confidence in, one being David Wilkinson, who's now dead. But many have prophesied this next season, 2016 to 2020, could possibly be the very last opportunity we have to win our friends to win our family, to win our loved ones. I mean, that's what it's all about, is that Christ in us, the hope of glory. And when they see that we're walking renewed, when they see we're walking healed, when they see we're walking refreshed, and they see that we actually are trying to make a change in our life, it gives them hope. It gives them encouragement. It It gives them the desire. Well, if God can do it for you, then God can do it for me, and he certainly can in Jesus' name as every head is bowed, as every eye is closed. What we're about to do this morning is symbolic. There's nothing magical here. There's nothing superstitious here. But two things this morning have to happen. Number one, you have to acknowledge there is a need. You have to acknowledge there is a hurt. You have to acknowledge there is a frustration. You have to acknowledge there is a a pain. You have to acknowledge that there are dreams unanswered and promises unfulfilled. That there are things in your life that you want absolutely nothing to do with no more. You're going to stop giving people the power to hurt you. You're going to stop being a a doormat to start being a a greeter in the house of God brand new day brand new season any man being Christ that metamorphosis of going in the cocoon and emerging from that cocoon a beautiful monarch butterfly that's what 2016 has But number one there's got to be an acknowledgement I am hurt I am wounded I feel like God let me down. I feel like my brother, my sister, my, my mother, my father, my my husband, my wife let me down. I feel, I feel there's a hurt there and I feel there's a pain there. So this morning I choose symbolically to release that hurt. I acknowledge it. It's there. I acknowledge it. It's hurt me. I acknowledge it's painful. So I've done the first step. The second step is I need to release it to God. I need to give it to God. I need to stop rearing up its head like a scorpion and trying to bite me, like a snake trying to strike me. I need God to take these broken pieces, these hurt, pains, these memories, these frustrations. I need God to just smile on my, on my countenance and, old oh, things are passed away and all things in the process of becoming a new day, a new season, a new generation, a new hope, a new praise. A new prayer. That's what I'd like to see God do today. As you are reflecting this morning and and, uh, you have your nail and you have your paper, I think you've been given a pen. In just a moment, we're going to write down those things that are crippling us, those things that are disqualifying us, and those things that are hurting us. And we're going to have the courage to put it on a piece of paper. Nobody will ever read these papers. These papers are taken and burned in a, in a, in a pile and only ashes remain of these papers. Nobody will read these. Nobody will look at these. If you want to fold it in half, that's fine. But there's a hammer here and you have a nail. And when we nail that, that offense, we nail that hurt, we nail that sin, we nail that habit, we nail that pain. Your diary can be your worst enemy. It can remind you not just of good times, but also of some sad times and some bad times. Repeated mistakes, failures. But if Christ before us, if God before us, who can be against us? If this is of God and we release this, then there are brand new valleys for us to examine. And brand new paths for us to walk and brand new mountains for us to climb. Brand new doors to step through. Brand new season. Brand new day. Being honest with yourself, the one thing, the two things. There might be three or four things. Take take your time as God brings them to your attention. As we open our heart and ask him to bring these to our attention that has hurt us, disqualified us, messed us up, troubled us. We're going to write it down. And then we're going to walk down to the cross and take the hammer. We're going to nail this to the cross, and we're going to leave it here. And the janitor called the Holy Ghost is going to clean up after us. We're going to take these hurts and talk to Jesus about healing them and talk to the Father about mercy and grace. It's all symbolic. It's all a type and shadow. As he took the communion and said, this do often remembrance of me is just a type and a shadow. just an just a acknowledgement that we honor. There's nothing sacred about this cross. There's nothing uh, supernatural about the nail. There's nothing special about the paper. Those are all man made products, even the cross. But today we take opportunity to nail. Father, as I prepare to nail something, to this cross, I ask you to blot out my transgressions and blot out my sins and my mistakes, my failures. Let me be that one of the redeemed that your word talks about. Let me be that favored son, the prodigal son that returns to the father and the fatted calf is killed and the ring and the robe are provided. Let me be a part of that story. Let me come back to the father. Let me return to the things of God. Let Let me acknowledge my lack of pursuit and give me a hunger, give me a taste, give me a desire to pursue you and the things you have for me. Y-H-W-H, the name of God, all the way from Adam, all the way into our future, until your son returns. We speak that name, Yahweh. We speak that name, Jehovah. You are Lord of our life. You're Lord of everything that we're a part of. And we honor you today. And we remind you today of the blood. Remind you today of the cost of sacrifice that was made for us. We apply that to our account. We apply that to our credit. We apply that to our restoration, to our victory. We apply the blood of Jesus. Let us be saturated in that blood. Our thought process, every area of our life, let it be saturated with the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name. As we play this song, if you will, if you'll bring your, what you've written on your paper, if you'll bring it and you can nail it anywhere on the cross and symbolically when you nail this I want you to say I release this in Jesus name and will not allow it to come back and bite me again I release this in the name of Jesus and I'm going to get better I'm going to get healthy and come randomly as as you feel like you're prepared to nail this to the cross blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that were against us. He nailed them to the cross. The next verse said, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made sure of them openly. The enemy is defeated. The blood is his demise. He is a loser. If you need a nail... Brenda, what a joy to have these beautiful grandbabies. We love Angeline. We love Josh. and We love Haley and Kayla and Josh Jr. Robbie, thanks for coming this morning. God bless. If we can just keep playing that same song, I sing praise with your name. Or a song of your choice. Pastor Ron, we are having service Wednesday night. Okay. This will be the last Sunday you have opportunity to sow an offering into the kingdom. As the Lord has blessed you, being faithful in your tithe. An offering just allows the church to do above and beyond. This week, this church provided Christmas to three very special children. Children that probably would not have had little or nothing under the tree. But your generosity allowed us to bless them. Coats were awesome, Nicole. They were awesome. Coats were awesome. Every, every gift was a home run. Every gift was a home run. And we signed the gifts coming from the Father so the Father would renew his courage and know that God has blessed him. Angel, you didn't know she could swing a hammer, did you? Now you... As we step into 2016, it seemed like the Holy Spirit has provided a library. There are so many incredible books right now that are self-help books. Anything by Mark Batterson will bless you, help you get from the pit to the valley to the mountain. Kayla, Haley, Josh, next Sunday there'll be a little jar right here with ashes. We'll take all of these and burn them and then put the ashes in the bottle to remind us of our victory. We've got a bunch of people that can use a hammer. Remember that we're going to tear something down or build something. We are in no hurry. It's four minutes after noon. For your pastor, I'll be attending the funeral today of the young lady that was killed in the horrible accident on, uh, I think, White Ferry. Not sure. like that song that says there's room at the cross Though millions have come there's still room